This is Ron Friends, comics illustrator, and this is a bumper for the amazing Spider Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. I'll be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon. They'll bend your ears with reckless self abandon. Hello and welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdan and I'm the editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mark Chinacchio, the founder of Chasing Amazing Blog, but now one of the editors and writers at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. All right. Well, thanks for joining us for a special episode of Amazing Spider Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and Flash Thompson as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yeah, and for this episode, we'll be discussing our potential essential Spider-Man comic of the week. That's right, two of these episodes in a row, Dan. What's happened? Uh, They pushed back the publishing schedule for Renew Your Vows and Spiral and really given us no idea about when they're going to come out, except for eventually. That's right, Dan. So for this week, we'll be discussing Dan's pick, Spectacular Spider-Man Volume 2, number 14, which is by Paul Jenkins and Paolo Rivera. Then we'll talk some donations, go through our Flash Thompson's Flash reviews. Do you think he's here this week, Dan? I'm not going to tell. Oh, boy. We'll just have to find out. As listeners know, if you hear this sound, please be sure to check out your iOS device for a link to an article, video, or image to enhance your listening experience. But enough about all that and all the hoo-ha that we do at the top of the show. Let's get right into it. My very unique choice of Spectacular Spider-Man, Volume 2, Number 14, also known as Here There Be Monsters. I bet you're asking, well, Dan, why is this comic on your essentials list? Um, if a thought crossed my mind. And let me tell you, Mark, that's a good question. Uh, I kind of ran out of stories to add to my essentials list because I more or less agree with you on all of your picks. And I got down to the bottom of my list and I was a little shaky. And I said, you know what? Let's just choose some of my personal favorites. So this book, you know, I'm going to make an argument for it being essential, but really it's more of a personal favorite. So this is kind of like a half-hearted argument as an essential. I love this comic. Don't get me wrong. Okay. But if someone said, is this essential for Spider-Man? Maybe not. 
But you know what? I figure there are worse things than spending my essentials time recommending a book that likely very few people have read um, and that I think is genuinely wonderful. Uh, So Spectacular Spider-Man Volume 2, number 14. If you haven't read it, go check it out and then listen to the show and maybe you'll be surprised or maybe not. We're going to find out. But what I think is uh, great about this book is that it's representative of a large number of smaller Spider-Man stories that can mostly be found in B-books, which are kind of like outsiders' points of view on Spider-Man. Like, what does New York think of this guy? Sometimes we get issues like, uh, you know, I cover the waterfront with Jonah where he is, you know – talking about his point of view of things. But I always like these stories where we kind of see Spider-Man through another person's eyes. And I guess the most famous one of this is The Kid Who Collects Spider-Man, which we're going to talk about eventually because it's also on my list. And I'll admit that this book is very much like that book. Um, But yeah, I don't know. That's, That's why I like this book. And I also think that the story is really clever, um, and we'll talk in a second about what it's about, but I think it mixes tones really well in a way that uh, I think Spider-Man is one of the few Marvel characters that can kind of weave tonally through you know horror and outer space adventure and street crime in a way that few other characters can. Um, and uh, I also think this book is funny and it has a lot of pain in it. And, I mean, it also has Paolo Rivera's beautiful paint. Uh, This is a hand-painted book from him when he used to do that. And uh, there are a few Spider-Man comics that look this beautiful. So those are my reasons that I really like this book and think maybe included it on my essentials list. Mark, what did you think of this book? Um, well, (laughs) for one, I I, I guess I got to say... You know, you, you definitely have a point in terms of uh, the lack of exposure this issue gets because, you know, the, the, the volume two of Spectacular is a bit of a muddy area for me. I, I've read some of those issues, but I don't think I've read the whole thing clean through because when you had suggested this, I was really racking my brain what you were even talking about. And then when I read it, I was like, I don't think I've actually read this comic. So That's exciting. So a new Spider-Man comic that someone else considers really great. Uh, well, I think I, I think there are elements of of some really nice storytelling here. Um, I think my my biggest issue with it is I feel that there are more effective stories of this type that are out there. I mean, even you know, obviously the most obvious choice is obviously the most obvious. I'm really eloquent tonight. The most obvious choice is the kid who collects Spider-Man, which, I mean, this comic blatantly references. But even in the Jenkins library, I mean, Jenkins, I felt, had a number of these kind of stories. And one that kind of pops out to me is kind of this, you know, more, you know, looking at what Spider-Man means to other people kind of tales. You have the Heroes Don't Cry, which was uh, adjectiveless Spider-Man, number 35, volume 2. Which is, I you know, I think that the big reveal on that one was the the, the little uh, black 
child who sees Spider-Man as another black person. That was kind of the, the big the big emotional climax of that story. Yeah, that's a wonderful story. Um so yeah, I, I, I this 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 I don't I think because I feel like this comic is kind of doing what other comics do and not as well, and I feel that there were some elements about it that you know not to be glib, but I found to be a little manipulative in terms of trying to hit certain beats by forcing them. Uh, this 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 is not. I, I probably would not have this on my list, but you know, it's, feel free to argue it for it, Dan, because yeah, I, I will, you sounded I will. so impassioned for it initially. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, uh, yeah, Mark and I have kind of seen each other's notes and conversations about our feelings about this prior to starting the show, and I was kind of hoping that I would turn you on to a book and see you fall in love with it. And I'm a little disappointed that you don't love it as much as I do, but I understand your criticism of it. Um, but I'll say let, – let's get into what the story is actually about. Um, the book opens with these um, – like a couple pages of various people almost like responding to a documentary like interview about their thoughts about Spider-Man. And I think really just some beautiful – um, I mean, clear, the whole book is beautiful artwork by um, Paolo Rivera, but these moments are just great little beautiful snapshots into the lives of all variety of people from J. John Jameson to Dr. Octopus to just random people on the street and their feelings about Spider-Man. Um, what did you think about this, Mark? Oh, no, this is this. This was a, a really fun intro uh, Rivera's art is just phenomenal and, you know, I mean, throughout the whole comic, but like, I mean, it really kind of brings you in and, you know, I, when I, when I started reading this comic and again, not, you know, with the understanding very quickly that I had not read this before, I was kind of like, okay. And, and, you know, not for nothing, Dan, I try and get into your head when I'm reading these comics, like, okay, so why did he pick this? You know? And I was like, okay, we're going to get like this kind of like story about Spider-Man told from, everyone else who's not Spider-Man. But the comic does shift pretty dramatically and gets away from this. Yeah, so it quickly settles on one person to tell like a longer form, I guess, version of what we saw in Snapshots with this one person who's this uh, young man named Joey who um, suffers from cerebral palsy. And, um, and we kind of get his story with his family. And... I mean, I don't know about you, Mark, but I, I, I always find this, like, heartbreaking when I read it. You know, it's not often that you see someone with this particular ailment depicted in media in such a, uh, an honest way. And reading this really, like, I really get into his head. I mean, you get into his head quite literally because you see his thoughts. But, you know, it's, it's an interesting, you know, way to communicate what it might be like to be someone with cerebral palsy. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's very touching. I mean, watching the relationship with, I mean, first you get the biography that, you know, his mother died in childbirth and then you kind of see this family dynamic with he and his sister and his father and the father kind of coming out to the rooftop uh, to check on him and bring him back down to watch, you know, Wheel of Fortune and Vanna in a bikini, which I thought, I mean, you know, fun, fun little detail. I mean, it's, it's, 
you know, it, it, can I can I start getting into some criticism here yeah, or okay, yeah. okay. I mean, like it's it's and and not to keep referencing Kid Who Collects Spider Man, but I I feel like with with Joey and and Jenkins' presentation, you kind of like get right to the gut punch that defines Kid Who Collects right away. I mean, with Kid Who Collects, for people who haven't read it. You know, you, you we're introduced to this child who is obsessed with Spider-Man and Spider-Man comes to visit him. And, you know, it's this very kind of like um, spirited, intimate little back and forth between Spidey and this kid. And, you know, there's this very dramatic point where Spider-Man reveals himself to the child. And then we find out via like a newspaper article about this kid that he has a rare form of cancer and basically has like two weeks to live. Um, and there's your gut punch. And I feel like with this story, you kind of get that emotional sock right away. And whereas with Kid Who Collects, that getting it at the end kind of like leaves you reeling, but like there's still this very f- fun lovely story preceding it this i feel like is just too heavy too fast and it kind of took me out of the element of reading a superhero comic where it's which is a form of escapism for me yeah no i i i feel that um i mean i i think you're right it 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 kind of moves your way out of the superhero realm but for me because the artwork is painted already puts it into a different realm of emotion like just the fact that it's handcrafted like i mean they're all handcrafted but it's so meticulously constructed for me brings an emotional level to it that i think is like you know the art and the and story parallel enough to get me over that hurdle I think there's still lightness and joy to be found here, particularly we, we Joey is, you know, uh, since he can't move or talk really, you know, without great struggle, um, you know, he and his relationship with his father and family are strained. But when they leave, his father takes him up onto the roof of their uh, apartment complex and allows him to watch the city, you know, New York City unfold before him. And I loved this visual where Joey describes, like, that he's unable to become, like, super-powered himself because no one else can allow their mind to fly around the city in the way that he does. And to me, that was I, – I, I love the visual of, you know, Rivera has the earth kind of, like, bending, you know, to Joey's mind as he, you know, throws himself over the city. And I, to me – that kind of put it in back into the realm of kind of like supernatural and um, not that he's literally flying, but that he kind of like has this otherworldly experience on the roof, even though he's up there alone, kind of just sitting in a chair. Yeah, no, I I, I get what you're saying. I mean, I I mean, I'm 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 just coming at this from from my perspective. I mean, I I, I feel that I think. He, he, the, by leading off so heavily uh, and kind of almost—I cr- don't want to say cruel—but you know, this is—you get 
you get this this image up front that you know this is this is this is not an ideal life for Joey, right? I mean, you know, like I think that's pretty fair. And then when when you, I I think it kind of numbs the reader to the playfulness that does start to come in, and and I and I I just feel from I feel structurally that. It, it, it does a disservice to the story by doing that. I, I, I feel like, you know, I, f- I feel like that's how you got to lead it off instead of like kind of this very tragic story about this, this child who is, you know, is, has a life that, you know, is very far, is very far removed from anything that we'll probably understand. We being you and I then. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's what I like about it is, is that like, I, I like that almost more than I like the Spider-Man part of this book. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that goes into your complaint as well. Eventually we find out that Morbius is like hanging out across the way from his apartment. And I've always really liked this idea. And, and maybe it doesn't entirely fit here that a vampire like Morbius would see this defenseless person – and just like it's like a hamburger for him, just sitting on the rooftop, you know. Right. Like it right. can't, it, he can't defend himself in any way, and no person would ever think, oh, a vampire is going to come and feed off of my son that I put up on the roof, who in all likelihood will just remain there safe and fine, except for maybe maybe a sunburn. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I've always liked this kind of twist, where like. The vampire has been watching him and decided, oh, this is food for me. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess for me, like, I don't know, Morbius is such a strange character to bring into the story. I mean, not only because of the tone of the story from the onset, and I, I think kind of bringing in a vampire to prey on this child feels like an unnecessary level of danger for a character that already is pretty i don't want to say incapacitated but you know like <laughs> it doesn't need to be more drama with this with this character you know what i mean like 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 adding in like oh and now a vampire is going to feed on him seems a little bit of overkill to me there's probably a story to be told where you where you don't even need a villain um but then beyond that i just feel like morbius is such a tricky character to use because so many creators have conveyed him so differently over the years. Yeah. And, and Jenkins is definitely kind of going like the straight up villain mode, which is probably my least favorite version of Morbius. I'm not a big Morbius person, period. Um, Me neither. I, I like what Jenkins does to them here because he's less of a person more than he is like a, a force monster. of nature. Yeah, yeah. He's like a monster. And that, that's what I think it works for me is because he's a low tier enough character that – you know, you can kind of play with him a little bit, and I think here he's just kind of like this inevitable danger or like force of nature more than he is like a like when you say oh like a vampire and you think of like a romantic vampire, this is like a Nosferatu vampire. He's like kind of like yeah. wispy and wind like and rat ish. You know, he's just this creeping danger on the roof, and so. I think it's almost immaterial that it's even a guy named Morbius. It's just like this evil thing. 
Yeah, no, I get you. I mean, and, and, and that's why I said I would even argue, like, this story doesn't need an evil thing. You know, like, I, like, I, I mean, and maybe the evil thing is introduced so it's not a complete paint-by-numbers recreation of Kid Who Collects Spider-Man, because, you know, there was no villain in that. Um, but, you know, I, I almost felt like it was kind of a cheat from Jenkins to bring a villain into this because it's like, you know, this, this, there is a story that can be told here using this, this child's perspective vis-a-vis Spider-Man and interacting with Spider-Man. And, and, and it's like, you know, Morbius is just there to, to bring Spider-Man and this kid face to face. Sure. It's kind of like, you know, it's just, it's just a, it's just a, 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 a vessel for the story. And I don't know if that ultimately works for me because of that. I mean, essentially, the 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 idea is that Morbius, Spider Man, and this Joey person are all damaged individuals, right? Um, and they're kind of caught in this circle together. Um, and you know, Peter even says, you know, after defeating Morbius and and fending him off, you know, he's like he's not a bad guy, you know, like he just can't help himself, right? Um, and that's the same with with all of us is we're all damaged in some way yeah um, little on the nose but no it's an interesting theme and i like I actually do like that theme in, in you know in terms of being integrated into a spider-man comic because i mean obviously you know there's a meaning behind with great power must also come great responsibility where you know, it's almost like at this point, Peter doesn't have a choice. You know, he has this power. He has to use it responsibly because when he didn't, we know what happened. Sure. Um, so it's like this idea of all these characters being driven by these uncontrollable forces um, is interesting. No question. Yeah. I mean, I, I can say like, you know, one of the things I think is also wonderful in this book is how funny Spider-Man is when he shows up and he's fighting Morbius and I, I, I relate to the Joey character in this book in that like, you know, I pick up Spider-Man comics for like um, enjoyment. Oftentimes, like, be it like funny. I, I particularly remember like reading the book in Brand New Day era when it was three times a month, and just having this reliable thing every week to pick up and be like, good or bad, you know what? I just enjoy having this as part of my life. And, like, seeing Joey being up on the roof there, like, no matter how awful things are, this guy kind of comes into his life and uh, and makes it all that much more wonderful, even in just that small moment. Mm. Um, he, like, kind of gets carried away with what Peter is doing and... And I feel the same way reading comics. So maybe I'm putting myself into this a little bit um, in how I read the comic, but I can't help it. Like it, it conjures that feeling for me when I read this. Okay. No, I, I can definitely see that. What did you think of the reveal with Joey? It's a little, it's a little forced, you know, yeah. to, to kind of be along the lines of Kid Who Collects. But I don't like thinking about it like I just described. I don't think it's it's inappropriate. Like I think Spider-Man would see this guy who can't communicate and would be clever with him and playful with him in like the revealing of who he is. Like it, it doesn't strike me as a moment that seems implausible. 
No, it, it's not implausible, but I, I, this is, to me, definitely a moment of story over character because I feel like, again, I mean, it's just hard not to always... It's hard not to compare this to Kid Who Collects, and we're going to end up talking about Kid Who Collects at some point, I imagine, Dan, yeah. on, on the show. But, um, you know, it, it, it's... You know, there there is an instance where I feel like the identity reveal is is, is built too properly and revealed. I mean, it's like you know. Uh, whereas here, I feel like they use the reveal to then service another plot beat, um, which they would not have been, which they being Jenkins and, and Rivera would not have been able to get to without that reveal. So that to me, like I feel like that's kind of a cheat. You know what I mean? Like it's because what they really what they're really trying to accomplish is, you know, Joey sees Peter's face and is able to identify and say, you know, all the pain and suffering that I'm going through, this character has experienced so much more, Um, which. And you'll probably disagree, Dan. I, I think that's a little bit of a misread of Peter's character. Um, so. I feel like this idea of like this, you know, tremendous, I mean, obviously loss and death is a major theme of Spider-Man. Like that's, that's unavoidable. And, and I've talked about it as much in my writing over the years and, and to, um, you know, between Uncle Ben and Gwen and Captain Stacy and, and Harry initially and, and, you know, Aunt May for three minutes. Um, <laughs> A variety it, of three minutes here and there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's definitely a part of it, but like, you know, I, I, I this idea that, you know, this, this, this child with a severe physical disability could sit there and be like, Oh, you know, but, just by looking at his face, I can see so much. He's so much wearier, and I, you know, and and not to to quote the Brevoort, but I feel like that's kind of getting away from the youthfulness and vibrancy. And we talked about this during Spider-Man Reign when we talked about that as well. Like I, I, I still feel that that needs to be honored. That element of what this character was when he was first introduced by Dicko and Lee, and and, and you know, it was kind of like. You know, in light of that pain and tragedy, he was now trying to make amends and 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 and, and be better for it, and and this just kind of makes him sound like you know like Mother Teresa after working at the soup kitchen for for forty eight hours straight. It's just like this kind of like there's this, there's this segment of the fan base that I feel like sometimes wants to put Peter up for sainthood, and and I feel it's. it's those kinds of moments that feed into that. And it's, and yeah, I, I just don't think that's 100% true. I think it's a little more nuanced than that. Yeah, I agree, but I don't feel like every comic needs to be a full, like fully capture all of the character. Right. This could be a saintly moment for Peter, you know, and, and in the removal of his mask, I like, I love the way Rivera has, like, it almost doesn't look like Peter in the comic. It's yeah. kind of very everyman face that he paints in here. And to me, like, I found something comforting in the kind of nondescriptness of the, of the face. And, 
like I, I agree with you. I think there are people that kind of overemphasize the sadness and the saintliness of Peter. But I think this comic has enough of the funny, adventurous, you know, quippy guy, like during the fighting, that then reveals like that that's not all there is to the character. That's like refreshing for the Joey character who sees this superhero who's larger than life and can make jokes and be, you know, e- everywhere. That when he sees his face, is reassured that, like, this is a person that has felt pain as well, similar to what, you know, to the pain that I feel. Um, that kind of grounds the character. And I, I mean, the artwork here too is so grounded. It feels so gritty and and like earthy that like Peter kind of becomes a person here for me more than kind of like a. I know you're you're saying he's kind of saintly, but I I actually think like it reveals the person like that can do saintly actions more than paints him as this saintly character. But I, okay. you know, I, that's just my interpretation. Okay. Anything else on this, Dan? I don't know. I just want to encourage people to check it out. You know, would you say it's at least worth checking out, Mark? Yeah, it's a different kind of story. I would definitely check it out. Yeah. I mean, if you haven't seen it, at least pick it up. Check it out for uh, Paulo Rivera's artwork. I got a chance to talk to him at a Comic-Con about this issue and how much I enjoyed it. And he told me all the stories about, like, how long it took him to paint it and how he just can't conceivably do that anymore. And um, it's amazing to me. His I love his style of Spider-Man and wish we could get him on the book in a more long-term fashion. His kind of sunken Spider-Man eyes. I've always really enjoyed his interpretation of of the character. And um, I think this is his one of his finest, you know, bits of comic book work. So, um, yeah. I mean, I don't know how much it would cost to buy one of these pages if they were up for sale, but <laughs> I, I can't even imagine. You, you you don't have the money for that right I, now. I do not. I if you have to, if you have to ask, you can't afford it. Yes, I just graduated <laughs> from grad school, so I'm deeply in debt and don't have a job. So this is not. I'm glad I'm done collecting the, my collection because I can't be doing any more of that. There you go. Well, uh, on that note, why don't we talk about the friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club? So now is the time of the show where we thank all the wonderful people who have decided to donate some of their hard-earned money to the show and have opted to join the Friendlyhood Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. This week we have two new members to the club. And an extra special thanks to Scott McElroy, uh, Doc Spidey, if I'm, if I'm knowing my avatars correctly, right, Dan? Yeah, that's him. 
And then uh, the, uh, the great Seth Slackhouse, uh, they both donated to the show and became members of our wonderful little club. And they are very active members of our community, so it's nice to see them donating. And special thanks to Scott, who went above and beyond with his donation. So thank you again, Scott and Seth. Of course, if you're a member, please be sure to check your email for your free comics. And if you'd like to become a member of the Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club hood thing and help support our show, please go to our site and click on the giant button that reads Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. Why did we need that, Mark? <laughs> well, let's get on to our Flash Thompson's Flash reviews and see if our favorite member of our podcasting team is back again. Who's there? Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Why Members Club. Why did you name it that? Oh, that you got me, Flash. name I've ever heard of. I get you and Janakio saying it every episode. I, you know, I, I, I basically work off my buzz by the time you finish saying it. I mean, come <laughs> on. <laughs> well, speaking of names, Flash, what kind of a name is Eugene? Listen, it's Flash to you, and I don't want to hear anybody reference Eugene on this podcast, okay? Uh, We might have to rename this Eugene Thompson's Eugene Reviews. Well, then, uh, where's where's the Eugene theme song that you so proudly flaunt uh, before every one of my segments, Dan? Uh, You got a good point there. I don't know any song that prominently... Features the words Eugene, savior of the universe. Aren't you going to ask me how I'm doing? What kind of cold-hearted person are you? Sorry, Flash. Sorry. How how was the hospital? Make any friends? (laughs) Well, you know, there's there's a couple of the nurses and, uh, you know, a couple of the homeless guys. uh, They they know where to get the good stuff. Um, You know, how to brown bag it properly. You were homeless for a little while there, back when everybody thought you were the hobgoblin. Well, you know, I'm I'm homeless right now. I'm living in Puny Janakio's the corner of his of his room, of his living room. I mean, you know, I kind of just hide there. You know, when 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 his wife walks through, I just hope she doesn't see me because that what, would be. Can you put Janakio back on the line? Speaking of him, I, I we really want to get to these reviews, and I know you haven't read the comics. All right. Well, let me just see if Janakio. Uh, What's up, Flash? You gonna give me the keys to your liquor cabinet this time, or we're gonna have to have a little song and dance? All right, this is Flash. I'm gonna talk to you like how I talk to my three year old. If I give you one drink, that's all you can have until the end of the show, and then I will give you another drink. Yeah, all right. Just, just give me the give me the freaking keys. All right, thanks. All right, yeah. Later, Dan. Bye, Flash. 
So, of course, uh, Flash Thompson's Flash Reviews. These are 60-second micro-reviews of all the B-books. In our last Essential episode, Dan and I talked about Silk Number 5 and Spider-Gwen Number 5. Well, now we're coming at you with a couple of Secret Wars books. Um, Why don't we start with Spider-Verse, Number 2, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll count you in. You ready? Let's do it. Three, two, one. Oh, Dan, this book is every bit of a disaster as Spider-Verse the Ark was. Wah-wah. <laughs> I mean, this is just a group of unrecognizable characters who do things without clear motivations or reasons. Uh, the, with rigid dialogue, they're trying too hard to be funny. Uh, if this is seriously the only way I can get my fix of these characters going forward, these characters being people like Spider-Gwen and Spider-Ham and UK Spider, you know what? I'd rather just not get my fix of them. In fact, I never actually remembered clamoring for these characters. Um, maybe I could just read about them somewhere on Marvel Unlimited. There's a, there's Spider-Man noir on there at least. Um, also, I can't think of a single comic this past year that looks more amateurish artistically. This is the epitome of Puny Parker to me. All right, count me in. Three, two, one. This issue takes a couple of steps in the right direction and that the art, I think, is just so slightly better than the last issue. And we're getting a somewhat clearer sense of what's going on with some hint that perhaps these characters can remember their interactions before. But guess what, Mark? I don't care at all. This is clearly a what-if tale, and it has—it doesn't even have a, a hook. Like, what if Peter Parker never gave up the Venom symbiote? My biggest question about this title continues to be, what happened to the original pitch for this series that was posited at the end of Spider-Verse, the original Spider-Verse? Weren't these characters supposed to be a, a dimension-hopping team alongside Spider-UK to heal the Great Web? What happened to that story? I'm giving this one a Puny Parker. Clearly, Dan Slott has laid claim to that story because there's going to be a Spider-Verse 2, I'm sure, just to torture us. Yeah, I don't know about that. All right, Mark, let's talk about another favorite of ours. Ultimate end number two. Let's see how the ultimate universe is going out for you. So, Mark, I'm going to count you in in three, two, one. Well, Dan, two issues in, and I'm still at a loss as to what exactly is this book about? And who are these characters I'm reading about? I I mean, I know I'm not an ultimate fan the way you are, Dan, but I I don't recognize anybody in this book. I mean, and that includes Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley, the creators. It seems like every issue is just trying to build two different representations of the same character having to fight with each other, and I don't care. This is so disappointing that this is what is coming to represent the end of the Ultimate Universe. Dan, I imagine that you have far more tears for it than I do. Puny Parker. I don't know. I, yes, I will say <laughs> up front, I have a lot of tears about this. All right, three, two, one. Mark, this book is still terrible. Even though it does have a couple of interesting moments, the two Tonys meeting together being one of them, even if they aren't the real Tonys from the 616 and Ultimate Universe, but like earlier copies of them or something. And perhaps it's just me, but I'm getting more open throughout these Secret Wars books to understanding that these are just what-if tales. Still, the problem with that is I don't care about these characters. Put me on repeat. I don't care. 
The book's premise is that we're seeing the end of the Ultimate Universe, but everybody reading it knows it already ended. Even if Bendis is telling us this will all make sense by issue five, which, by the way, is no way to write a story and a terrible way to pitch to people. Also, I counted three Hulks by the end of this book. What gives? Who are all these Hulks? I should not have to count the number of Hulks in a book on my fingers. Cuny Parker. Two seconds to spare. I mean, what was up with that? There's there's two Hulks, and you're like, oh, it's the ultimate Hulk versus the 616 Hulk. But we also saw another Hulk, the Doc Green Hulk, earlier in the book. So unless he shaved off panel, who is this new Hulk? It, 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 Dan, this is just a really bad – these are two very bad comics. Don't I, I, buy these comics. And yet we are, which is – Really sad. Oh, if I don't <laughs> own these, I won't own every single issue of the Ultimate line ever printed. There you go. There and you I go. own that now. So, <laughs> for better or for worse. Yeah. All right. Why don't we take us home, Dan? Yes. Of course, you can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcasts at superiorspidertalk.com or find us on iTunes and Stitcher by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. And if you do, Please make sure you leave us a rating and comment to let us know how we're doing, and we'll read it on the air. And if you have any opinions on these comics that we've talked about today or any questions, be sure to email them to us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com, and again, we'll read them on the air. Also, be sure to check out both of our Facebook pages at Facebook.com slash SuperiorSpiderTalk and Facebook.com slash ChasingAmazing, because on Facebook, this is where we put up stories, recipes, Flash Thompson's drinkology recommendations. Uh, <laughs> where to donate for his rehab. Other breaking news around the Spider-Man universe. So yes, go to Facebook. Few things are as breaking news though as Flash Thompson updates. <laughs> exactly. I can hear you back there. Oh God, just just get through this, Dan, before he he gets on the microphone again. All right. Well, I will say as always, if you want to follow the adventures of Spider Gwen and Miles Morales. Please be sure to subscribe to our sister podcast, The Awesome, The Ultimate Spin, which is hosted by Brian, Kyle, and Noor, a great team of alternate spider champions. I don't know what they go as, but it's a great show to check out The Ultimate Spin. It's like our version of Spider-Verse, but enjoyable. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Don't forget to check out our friendly neighborhood Spider-Tuck members club that helps support our show. And also, in terms of supporting our show, our theme song is courtesy of the great Rylan Bojack. And our outro song comes from the equally great Magic. Yes, and special thanks to wonderful artists like Nick Cagnetti, Ray Sumzer, Ron Friends, and Sal Buscema for providing all of our show's artwork. Mark, where can we find you this week on the internet? Yeah, well, you can find me on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com, still counting down those Peter and MJ stories, still bringing back the Clone Saga. You can't escape it, Dan. You can't escape it. And, uh, of course, on the Twits, you, Twitters, you can find me, or the Twits, I don't even know what that is, but it, it sounds like a great social media platform. Uh, you can find me at ChasingASMBlog. Dan? Well, I just I bought twitch.com, and I'm establishing a social media empire there. There we go. But there we if go. you go back to Twitter, you can follow me on at 
sup spider talk for all the spider-man conversation that i'm having and you can follow me on my normal account at dan gavazdin you can read my movie reviews at grindmyreels.com and you can read all of my spider-man stuff and all of my wonderful team spider-man stuff over at superiorspidertalk.com all right dan this is the time of the show where you set me up for some rambling finale yes absolutely so mark i was hanging out on a new york city street rooftop the other day. Were and you on the street, street or the rooftop? <laughs> it, was, it was both because it was right near that uh, the High Line. Okay, okay, I gotcha. Yeah, yeah, you following me? I'm with you, I'm with you, continue. What, what with all its floral wonderfulness on that High Line. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, I've been there, yeah. All right. Um, and uh, I noticed across the way from me in a, in a building someone was watching me, and it was you, Mark. Why were you so intently staring at me? I, I had just come back from a Hitchcock marathon, and all of a sudden, I was in a wheelchair because I had broken my leg, and I, the first thing I did was I called up my Uncle Ben, who's alive. He's absolutely alive. That's good, because I thought he died a horrible death, a very callously introduced <laughs> death in the last episode. No, no. And I was like, Uncle Ben, Uncle Ben, there's a sinister looking man at that building on the street across the rooftop. And Uncle Ben first was like, what the hell are you talking about? Street on a rooftop? And why do you sound like Jimmy Stewart? And also, with great podcasts must also come amazing spider talk. 